My name is Ross Anderson. I'm one of our teaching pastors here. Uh, before we get into the message today, we're in, we're in week two of our series on core values at Alpine Church. Before we get into that, let me just mention one thing about the 20th anniversary celebration coming up, the event center on the 22nd of this month. We want to make sure that today, before you go home, that you check in at the welcome desk with a count of how many people are going to be uh, you're bringing for lunch. So you, your spouse, your kids, your guest, whoever it is, they're, they're, they're taking account. You don't need a ticket. Um, it's not like we just want to know how many to prepare for. So check in. He'll tally it up, and um, then we'll be well prepared when you come that day. So go check in. Appreciate that a, a great deal. Thank you so much. So this is a series we're talking about, our core values. And, um, you know, as we come into the 20th anniversary celebration, we thought it's a good time to stop and take stock a little bit and, and review some of the basic things that make us who we are as a church. And these are the, the core values are really what is important to us about how we go about doing things. What are the, the hills that we'll die on? What are the uh, really things we'll go to the mat for in terms of, our values. And so we saw last week, number one is the Bible. We looked at the Bible as God's authoritative word, and it's his, his message to us for how to live. And it's where we find Jesus and relationship with him. So building on that, this week we want to talk about um, relationships. Okay, so when we talk about relationships, here's how we state that. We work hard at healthy relationships. And we're going to look at Romans 12 uh, to explore that a little bit today. But we look at these core values and we say, okay, what we do as a church is we help people pursue God. What we do is we make disciples, people who trust in Jesus and then who live to honor God and then who themselves invest in others to make disciples themselves. And so that's what we do. Our values are talking about how we do that and, and kind of what undergirds that mission. And so when we talk about core values for Alpine Church, we're not just talking about the church as an institution. We're not just talking about our staff or our leaders. We're talking about us. We are the church, right? You're the church. And so how do we live? What, what matters to us? Let's pull together around and focus and gain momentum for the next 5, 10, or 20 years around these important principles, these important values. And so today, we say, look, how we treat each other, and how we get along together in relationships is really, really important biblically. We'll talk about that. Now, I, I know a guy, I've known him for years and years. He'd always used to tell me, he says, Pastor, he says, I am allergic to relationships. But he said, I'm also addicted to relationships. He said, I don't know what to do, you know. But I think the allergy part is, is what ruled his life more than anything else. He'd had a tough life. He'd been betrayed and like a lot of bad things had happened and even as a child and relationally and so forth. And so relationships like, were hard for him. Like they gave him hives, almost literally maybe. But so, so he lived alone and he didn't want to have anything to do with people. 
and he's very isolated and lonely. And so every, but every so often, he'd get this urge, this impulse, the addiction side would come in because everybody needs relationships. And we all have a longing to connect. And, and so that side would come into play and he'd, and he'd realize, man, I need to have, get some friends and figure out how to do that. And he'd, he'd start working that and it never would last very long before he just got annoyed with people again and just like, ah. And so I thought, you know, that, that was kind of a great way to think about it. And a lot of us, we all have a little bit of relationship allergy in us, right? And also some relationship addiction, too. Because we've all had that experience where in our relationship, somebody's hurt us. Or somebody has just annoyed us. And we're going like, enough, man. I, I, I just got to push away. But other times, we want to draw people near to us as well. Our culture doesn't necessarily help. We live in this individualistic culture, right? And it's almost like, like the, our iconic cultural hero is someone, is like a Clint Eastwood character or a Jack Reacher type who at the beginning of the movie comes into town completely alone, no relationships, just roaming around, saves the day, does something to rescue somebody or something, and at the end of the movie, he's on his own again, drifting out of town, in the train, on the bus, on a horse, whatever it is. And we say, man, that's kind of like the icon that a lot of our culture uh, elevates. And you get that, it's not just subjective. I saw an item in the news this week, a study that has been, somebody's been doing it for over a long period, it's decades, And the study revealed that Americans in 2021 have less friends than in the past and have less close friends and best friends than in the past. So it showed that 30 years ago, the typical American, 33% said that they have um, 10 good friends. 33% of Americans. Today, only 13% of Americans say they can identify 10 good friends. And so this is what's happening in our culture. But, you know, that's not how God designed it to be. God created us for relationships. In fact, he put us in a family. And the Bible talks a lot about this family, this body. And the Bible gives us a ton of insight and information about how relationships work. And so you see it's really important in Scripture. And what we're going to be looking at today is This passage, Romans chapter 12, the whole second half of Romans talks about relationships and gives us all these principles. We're going to focus on this one one passage today, and then we're going to look at the context before and after that as well. He says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. And so from that, you can see how important it is. We're going to take a look at three marks of a healthy relationship because this is what God wants from us. He, this is his best for us, and this is how we want then to live together at Alpine Church. So three marks. Number one, that healthy relationships are authentic. Okay, so again, you see it in the verse don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. 
Healthy relationships are authentic. Now, I'm going to take a minute to set up the context of this, and then we'll come back and talk about this verse for a minute. So the context is really important because if you really want to understand what the Bible's saying, you've got to read the verses before and the verses after. And when you, don't, when you ignore the context, that's when people make up all kinds of crazy things that they think the Bible says. But looking at the context before... The very first verses in this passage are talking about the subject of spiritual gifts. And so what we see in the overall context here is that Romans 12, 4 through 8 talks about spiritual gifts. And then immediately he grounds that conversation in the latter verses about how to love. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is an ability that God gives every Christian to make it possible for us to benefit other Christians, to benefit the whole family. So each of us has some kind of ability given to us by God that allows us to serve and benefit other people. Everyone has one or maybe more than one. The Bible lists, gives several lists of them. They're not, I don't think they're exhaustive. But in Romans 12, um, he's talking about certain things uh, like he mentions gift of prophecy and Gift of serving, of teaching, of encouraging, giving, leadership, kindness or mercy. Uh, various things that, that some of you are wired in each of those ways in order to strengthen the whole body. But what Paul is addressing in, in the first century is that a lot of the spiritual gifts were being approached selfishly. Because if you think about it, some of those gifts give a person prominence. You know, they're in the spotlight. And so some people were tempted to want to get in the spotlight. Here's our awesome worship team up here. We all see them week in and week out, and so they're in the spotlight. But how many, how many of you know who's cleaning the bathrooms during the week? Nobody. They're not in the spotlight. So you can see there's a temptation maybe there for ego to come in. Some of the spiritual gifts were more exciting and phenomenal than other ones. And so some people wanted to, to have those gifts. You know? So there was a, a selfishness and an ego that could work into the spiritual gifts. And Paul says, look, whatever your gifts are, we want to make sure that they're practiced in the context of love, in healthy relationship together. And that's what he does then in starting in verse 9. The spiritual gifts don't really count. They don't really help unless they're practiced in love. Now he says the very same thing in another passage. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the same pattern. In 1 Corinthians, in the whole chapter, he introduces and talks about spiritual gifts. And then he has a whole chapter 13 where he anchors the spiritual gifts in the practice of love. The famous love chapter, love is patient, love is kind, it goes on, etc. That's in a section about spiritual gifts. And so chapter 12, he, he spends a lot of time talking there and he lists certain gifts like Knowledge and faith and healing and miracles and wisdom, discernment, speaking in unknown languages. Several more things are listed there. And then in the second half of chapter 12, he talks about how we're like a body and each one of us is a different part. And so we need all the parts working together in the body. And so then it makes sense in chapter 13, he then says, here's the big deal. We have to think about this in the framework of love of our relationships. And so in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, he says, if I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, 
I'd be nothing. He picks three gifts there that must have been pretty uh, desired or valued in that church at that time. And none, who, who of us wouldn't say, man, if I, if I could understand of all God's secret plans, well, that'd be awesome. If I possessed all knowledge, man, wow, that'd be cool. If I could such faith I could move mountains, man, what would be better than that? Well, Paul says, yeah, here's something better than that, love. That if I have the greatest gifts and I don't practice them in healthy relational context with people around me, then those gifts are actually useless. They don't, they don't really help the church at all without love. And so here's, you know, at Alpine we have some really gifted people on our staff. Some really talented people serving at Alpine Church. We have some, our volunteer leaders, amazing people with great abilities. But what we're saying in core value number two is that as great as that is, as awesome as is how much we appreciate that then what really matters is not how good you are at doing what you do. What really matters even more than that is how you interact with other people. Right? And so that's the, that's the ultimate value. It's not either or. It's not spiritual gifts or love. But he definitely says love is going to be the higher value. And that's what we want to live out in the life of the church. That, that, yeah, we appreciate the gifts and the abilities that God has put into the, the church. We say that really what we want to do is make sure that it's all about love. That's far more important than talent or ability. And so that brings us back to chapter 12 again. He says, then don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. How many of you have just pretended to love people sometimes. I, I've done that, right? So it's like, okay, oh, I'll pray for you. And do I? Sometimes I don't. That was pretending. I pretend to love you because so you'd feel better, and then I didn't do what I promised that I would do. How many times have we seen somebody who has a need, and we haven't lifted a finger to do anything or sacrificed anything at all to help meet that other people's need? See, that's just pretending um, to love. I mean, and so I'm looking around Alpine Church and I'm praying that we'll be the kind of place where everybody receives love. Uh, the people who are hard to like, the people who slip through the cracks, the people who don't have maybe a lot to offer that other people think they have, the people that ha have hurt me. I want to make sure that everybody is loved the way that, that God wants us to love each other. Now, here's the challenge is that I'm, I'm not very good at that. And maybe you're thinking, no, Pastor, you know, I'm just not a very, very good relationally. I'm a little awkward or I'm an introvert or, or whatever it might be. Or you think, man, I, I don't even know all these people. There's so many people. How can I love them when I don't even know them? Well, all of us, are born with this bent towards selfishness. All of us are born with this relational challenge that comes from within ourselves. But this is the good news, right? This is the grace of God, that God takes people who are not good at relationships. God takes people who are intrinsically selfish, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to be different than we are on our own. When we come to trust in Jesus and he transforms us from within and the Holy Spirit comes and says, I can, I can do something with this raw material of your life so that you can honestly, genuinely love people around you. And so really what it boils down to, right, is what God can do in us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, but what God can do in us when we're surrendered to 
his values surrendered to his work in our lives, then we do have the capacity in him to love authentically each other. So that's number one. Number two, here's a second one, is that um, healthy relationships are imperfect. Okay, well, you knew that already, right? <clears throat> the point is, so therefore we've got to work at it. There's some actions and steps we need to take. We know relationships are imperfect, right? I mean, think about all the different things that can go wrong in relationships. There's miscommunication and arguing and power struggles and betrayals and broken trust and, and lying and manipulation and payback and unkind words and jealousy and contempt and unforgiveness and I could go on and on. You could add your own things to that list. Well, relationships are imperfect because we're imperfect. Here's the thing. And you experience the imperfection of relationships, then you have a choice to make. You can push away. You can say, I'm just going to give up on relationships. And in doing that, you say, I'm going to give up on what God can do in my life through those people as imperfect as they are. I'm going to give up on what God can do through me in the lives of other people as imperfect as I am. Instead, what we what we're, want to do is to embrace relationships, plow in, and try to do the right thing based on the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so he says, look, part of relationships is hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what's good. Now that could be taken generically, but in the context here in chapter 12, he's talking about relationships. Hate what's wrong about relationships. Hate when, when something comes between us that messes up our relationship, I shouldn't just sweep that under the rug, not care about that. I shouldn't just leave that relationship like, a, like the hulk of an old beat-up car on the side of the road and move on. I want to I hate what's wrong with the relationship, and I want to hold on what's good, and, and I don't want to give up so easily in the relationships in my life. And so it takes some courage, I mean, to courage to maybe confront something that's wrong, to recognize something that's good. Here's how Jesus put it. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. So inherent in this statement of Jesus is his understanding of the fact that people are going to wrong you, okay? It's a fact of life. And I always wonder why people are sometimes so surprised when it happens to them. It's going to happen. It's, it's the way it is. And, and honestly, it's also just as true that you're going to wrong somebody else, right? You may not even mean to, but maybe you will. And, cer and certainly those things come into relationships that threaten to break it up. That's just going to happen. So what is the answer? What does Jesus tell us to do about that? I know how we often will respond in our own, but what Jesus tells us to do is to be courageous enough to go and talk to that person about what's happening between us and try to make it right. Try to set it right. There's a confrontation. Uh, uh, it's got to be done in a loving way. I know a lot of people will confront the wrong way and about the wrong things. 
But Jesus says, look, here's, here, this matters in healthy relationships. You have to be willing to go to somebody and care enough about the relationship to do the hard thing. It takes courage because it's not easy, right? It's uncomfortable. I don't know who's, how they're going to respond. The majority of us feel really awkward with confrontation because we don't know if it's going to make it worse. And it's just easier to sweep it under the rug for the short term. But Jesus says, look, you can, you can win that person back. We just assume that it's over. Jesus says, no, it's not over. If you haven't dealt with it, you can win that person back. And I've experienced this many, many times, that if I wrong you and offend you and you come to me and you talk to me about it and I go, oh, the Holy Spirit uses that in my life that to own up. And I say, you know, you're right, I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that the way I said it. I didn't mean that. And thank you for correcting me and helping me see that. That what happens in the relationship is that it has the potential to break through to a whole higher level. To really just be catapulted to a greater level of intimacy and depth and trust because somebody was courageous enough to have that conversation. To call out what was wrong because they wanted to hang on to what was good, right? The problem is most of, most of what happens in society, and it happens in church as well, when somebody wrongs us, I won't talk to that person. I'll just go talk about them to my friends, to others. So I'm getting allies, and I'm you know, kind of vindicating myself and all the rest. But Jesus says, no, don't go talk about them. He says, he says, you need to go talk to them. And it's in the Old Testament too. So just look at this verse in Leviticus 19. It says, confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now you've heard that last line, right? You didn't know it was from Leviticus maybe. But this is the very verse that Jesus quotes in the New Testament that many of the New Testament writers quote this verse when they talk about relationships. So when Jesus says, you know, he said, what are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting two Old Testament passages. This is one of them. Now I want you to look at the context for a minute of this. Because we'll take that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and we can pull it out of there. But it has a context where it says, look, if you love your neighbor, then you're not going to bear a grudge against them. Then you're not going to seek revenge against them. What about this? This is the challenge to us. If you really love your neighbor, then you're willing to confront them about sin. Again, doing it in a loving way, in a kind way, in a gentle way. But why is that love? Because that sin is hurting them. That sin is hurting other people around them. That sin is hurting their relationship with God. And so he says, this is the way that we got to do this um, in our relationships together. Now, here's the thing. Here's what happens in the church a lot of times. We get this backwards. So there's another place in the Bible, and it's Ephesians chapter 4. It says, bear with one another in love. You know, bear with means be patient, you know, just take it, you know, swallow it. There's a lot of things that, like, we're different in our personalities. We're different in our cultural background, our family background. We're, we're different in our habits. We're different in our preferences, 
right? And so there's a lot of things about me that might annoy you and a lot of things about you that might annoy me. And for example, I don't like country music, so I re- wish you wouldn't play that around me, right? But that's not a sin. I think it's not, I mean, <laughs> it's not a sin, it's just a different preference. And so to bear with one another in love means that it's okay, play your music, I don't love it, but I love you. So here, here's the thing, there's a lot of things in life like that, right? Like, like husbands and wives, like how you load the dishwasher, right? Oh, I see the heads turning. Or, or how you do, you know, how you do cleaning and, and just different habits and things you learn that, that could annoy the other person. Well, the Bible tells us bear with one another. Be patient with those things. Don't, those don't, don't rise to the level of confrontation. But here's what we do is that we get this wrong. We confront things that we should bear with, and we bear with things that we should confront. Right? So in matters of preference or habits or personality, I don't need to make a conflict out of that. I just need to, you know, be quiet and be patient. But then when somebody is actually in sin and they need to be corrected because they're harming themselves and harming others, then what we tend to do is go like, oh, oh, that's okay. Um, I don't want to get involved. I'm going to just sweep it under the rug. When it it needs to be confronted, we just bear with it. So we want to try to get that, do better at that. Um, in our life together as a church. Can I be honest with you for a second about our church? Last year, our staff went through some turbulence. And as I've had an opportunity to reflect back on that over the past year, I think at the heart of that, there was some unhealthy relationship. Right about this day, there were some people on our staff, not everyone by a long shot, but, but some members of our team that did not have the courage to go talk to other members about things that needed to be discussed. And instead, they talked to other people about it. And so we weren't healthy. We didn't love each other enough to to take these steps that Jesus gave us. And so it created some turmoil. It created some difficulty on the team. Now, thank God, this is where God is so gracious, that he allowed us to have a teachable moment there. As a team, he allowed us to, to say, oh, wow, we have to face up to this and, and, and get better at this. And to be honest, I have to tell you, the last, the last year, uh, we have gotten a lot better. And the tone and the health of our relationships in our, in our staff team is night and day different from what it was back then. And so, but that's because some people were willing to say, look, we've got to get better at this. We've got to get more healthy at this. And some conversations were had that were difficult, that were awkward, challenging, but they were had. And we grew as a result. And so that really actually leads me to our, our third principle that we're looking at here from um, Romans 12. And that is that healthy relationships are nurtured. You have to put some, some attention into them. They don't happen on autopilot, right? They, they take some work and some energy and some commitment. And if you do the right things, then you're going to get some good results. And if you don't do those things, then, then you're going to get some bad results, and so that's one of the things that we've learned as a team. We want to learn it as a church. And so uh, here it is again in, in Romans 12. He says, love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Those are things that don't always come naturally to us, do they? 
So we have to put some attention into uh, our relationships to make it happen. Now, how many of you know somebody who is in their relationship life, they're just kind of stuck, right? They're just, they've been stunted in their relationships. So you got somebody in your life who they're still all bent out of shape about the same things that bothered them years ago. Right? Are they still treating people the same way that they treated people back when you were younger? And what's happened in their life is you look at that, you see that they've become more and more isolated because they're hard to live with. They haven't grown and nurtured their relationship skills. And so eventually they end up just really isolated and alone in life. Now that doesn't have to be the case. We can really grow in relationships. It's really possible with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I thought about my own situation. You know, I'm, I'm, a pretty, I'm a pretty strong introvert. Uh, you know, um, by the way, you know, COVID and everything, it was great for us. Introvert, we love, introverts love, love, we love social distancing. And it's all you extroverts who are having all the mental health problems, right? Because you, you couldn't be around. And us introverts are going, oh, this is so great. Oh, I love the space. So now we have to come out, we're starting to come out of our shell and have to deal with that again. But I remember as a kid in high school, I was so shy that I couldn't pick up the phone and call a local business to find out what hours they were open. That was too threatening to me, okay? So over the years, I've grown in that. And so I've grown in relationships. And I have to say it's entirely because of the Holy Spirit's work in my life. He's put me in situations and given me opportunities to be able to grow. And so I, I love people. I love my relationships. Um, I, I love to have conversations with people and to connect with people. Um, it, it doesn't hurt that I married an extrovert. And so I can like coattail off of her a lot, you know, um, in, in the lobby. And that helps me a lot. But the Holy Spirit has, has really given me the opportunity to nurture and to grow and change. But it's not about me. I, I just want to let you know that, that we can grow because none of us, if you think about it, comes into this life with a factory default set on healthy relationships. We have to learn that as we grow up. All of us come with a factory preset on selfishness. And so that gets in the way of those healthy things. So, but but here, here's what I want you to understand is that God has a way of taking people who are not good at relationships, who are selfish, and he has a way of transforming us. And he comes along and he empowers us to be what we can't be on our own. See, see God, is, God is good. God didn't just say, hey, I want you to do relationships and I'm going to leave you all on your own to go figure out how to do what you can't do. God has said, look, I want you to do relationships because I want to bless you. And I want to do something through you in the world. And here I am going to empower you by my spirit. And I'm going to give you the truth of my word to help you to get where you're not right now. And here's where it starts. I'm going to love you perfectly first. And then out of that, you're going to learn how to grow and love and, and have relationships with other people. And so here's the thing, as the Holy Spirit's working in your life, and then as you choose to put into practice the things that the Bible teaches us about relationships, even if they don't come naturally to you, you choose to put them into practice, then you see that the Holy Spirit begins to work. 
And he begins to give you the ability to do that. And you look back and go, man, I never thought I could possibly go confront that person about that. But, but I prayed it through and the Holy Spirit gave me the graciousness and the words. And look what happened. Look what he did in, in that reconciled relationship. Man, I never thought I could love a, someone of a, of a different ethnic background or, or, or really care about someone from a different social or, or economic background. I say, man, but when I started to act like it and do it, I knew the Holy Spirit was working in me. And I'm trusting Him every moment of the way, every step that I take. And look what God is going to do. So He is able. He is able. When we choose to walk in step with Him, He's going to transform. We choose to nurture those relational qualities and take them seriously and commit to them. Then he's going to do something in us that we've never seen before. Now, with that in mind, I want to look at some of the verses that follow in in Romans chapter 12. I want to show you three particular relationship skills that we can nurture that come out of uh, uh, chapter 12. The first one is empathy. Verse 15, moving down to verse 15, he says, Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. So empathy is the relational skill of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. When somebody else is suffering, I can relate to that. I might not feel the pain that they're feeling, but I can relate to it. I get what they're going through. When they're joyful, I can relate to their joy and their happiness. How is that a skill? Well, a lot of people are already kind of tuned that way by God to be better at that than others are. But it's a skill because when I choose to nurture that, then I'm going to pay attention a little more carefully to your nonverbal cues, to your tone of voice, to what's happening to your face and your posture. And I can see, oh, there's something going on. I can get empathy because I can see now because I'm paying attention like I wasn't before that there's something that's happening in you. And I can ask God to give me his heart for you. And then the second one is humility. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people in verse 16. There's a lot of ways that humility takes effect, but he's talking about relationally. One way humility in relationship that we can work, humility is the ability, the skill not to make it about you. So when I'm hanging around with other people, a lot of us will say, I want to make that about me because if I hang around with the cool people, people will think I'm cool. Or if I, if I hang around with certain people, my social standing will rise. Or I have an agenda. I want to get something. So I'm going to hang around with, with people who have power or influence or money or whatever it might be. He's saying, no, look, relational health is you're humble enough to hang around with anybody. People who, who aren't going to advance your social standing or aren't going to give you, uh, you know, progress your agenda along the way. Just ordinary people who may not have much to offer, but they're worthwhile to God. And so he says that that's a skill we could learn who we hang around with. The third one is forgiveness. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Forgiveness is the, the skill of being able to let go where I've been harmed. And you know what? It, really, that comes from, from knowing God because trusting God, realizing that, that my life is in God's hands, that I can trust God with what happened to me. I can trust God to vindicate me. I can trust God with justice. And that's really what verses 18 and 19 are all about. He says, let God take care of that stuff, and you just trust Him. And I, and I have to practice that, and as I practice that and nurture that forgiveness, then it's going to grow in my life. 
And so again, this is the grace of God that, that he gives us the power to do things that, that we're not, that aren't easy for us, that don't come natural for us, but as a result, we can grow. And so this is our second core value. Number one, the Bible. Number two, healthy relationships. It's, it's something that this is how we want to conduct our mission at Alpine Church. This is how we want to live our life together as God's people. Not just our staff, not just our volunteer leaders, but every single one of us. Because again, you are the church. And so we pray that, that you'll embrace this value for yourself. That this will become important to you. You'll understand it. You'll own it. And you'll start to live it out in, in new and expanded ways than in the past. Because we know that healthy relationships don't just happen automatically. I get that. I know that healthy relationships in a lot of ways go against the flow of our selfishness, of our individualistic culture. Understand that. But here's the thing that God can do in you and me and in our church family. God can do more than we can imagine when we surrender to what His plan, to what He wants to do. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your mercy that you care about us. Thank you, God, that you want the best for us. And we just come and say, God, I, I don't know how to do this. I, just, I really need your power to grow in this area. I'm allergic to relationships, but I also want them. And so, so, Father, we, I need you to come and do a powerful, supernatural, transforming work in me through your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, thank you. You sent a Savior into the world to fix our brokenness, to forgive our sin. And we think of all the relational sins that there are and all the ones that we've committed, the words we've spoken to people, the times we've been selfish, the put-downs, the betrayals, the times that, that we didn't keep our word to somebody, all the different ways that we've, that we've hurt somebody's feelings or hurt them physically even. Father, we know that we've sinned in these relationships many times. We've been sinned against. So we need what Jesus only can do. Come in us, God, and, and make us different, we pray. As a church and as individuals, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.